Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Daily Gospel Exegesis podcast. If you're new to this ministry and this podcast, what we do every day is we look at the gospel reading from today's Catholic Mass, and we try to provide an exegesis or an analysis of the literal sense of the text, as in what was the original author trying to communicate to his original audience. The Catholic Church teaches that that's where we must start when we study the Bible, and there's so much richness in that. If we can learn what the original meaning was, it helps us understand what God's intention was. And so today we're continuing in the farewell discourse, which Jesus gave around the time of the Last Supper, and we're looking at John chapter 16, verses 5 to 11. So, as always, we'll start by reading the passage and then see what we can find out about individual phrases within the passage. Jesus said to his disciples, Now I am going to the one who sent me. Not one of you has asked, Where are you going? Yet you are sad at heart because I have told you this. Still, I must tell you the truth. It is for your own good that I am going, because unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will show the world how wrong it was about sin and about who was in the right and about judgment, about sin proved by the refusal to believe in me, about who is in the right proved by my going to the Father and your seeing me no more, about judgment proved by the prince of this world being already condemned. So an interesting little section here in the farewell discourse, and if you've missed uh, the, the early parts of the farewell discourse, you can go back and look through the podcast from the last couple of weeks where we've been breaking it down into sections. So it brings us up to uh, chapter 16, the start of it today. So the context, we're in the Last Supper, and this farewell discourse goes over quite a few chapters. The last thing Jesus has said to the apostles is he's told them about the kind of persecution they will experience, but he's promised to send the Holy Spirit as their advocate. So that has already happened. So now Jesus speaks to the apostles again. The audience is important. He's speaking to the apostles. He's giving them some inside information. Now we'll look at verse 4b first. So today's mass reading does start at verse 5. However, if you look at yesterday's, yesterday's only did the first half of verse 4. So, in yesterday, we finished at what's called verse 4a, the first phrase in verse 4. So, today we want to finish by looking at the second phrase in verse 4, because that sets us up for our gospel reading for today. So, the last thing Jesus said in verse 4a was, But I have told you all this, so that when the time for it comes, you may remember that I told you. And we looked at that phrase yesterday. Verse 4b, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus here teaches that he did not need to tell the apostles their eventual fate while he was with them during his ministry because Jesus himself was there to comfort and protect them. But now he's going away and he knows that they aren't going to have immediate access to him. If they get discouraged, they're not going to be able to fall back on him in person like they did during the ministry. So he knows that. So he tells them what is to come in advance so that they can look back on what he says to them here and be comforted. Verse five, now I am going to the one who sent me. 
So Jesus here predicts that he's soon going to return to the Father, and it's a prediction of the ascension. Now, you might think it's a bit strange that he says, now I am going to the one who sent me, and he's making it sound like he's never going to see them again, because he does appear to them between the resurrection and the ascension. That's true. But if you look at the Gospels, when he appears to them after his resurrection, they're only very brief appearances, it would seem. And he doesn't remain with the apostles for days and days like he did during his ministry. So in a real sense, his crucifixion, which is only hours away as Jesus speaks this, that marks the end of his earthly mission. He's no longer going to be with the apostles in the same way. He is leaving them. But he does not go to the Father at the resurrection. He actually doesn't go to heaven until the ascension, which is 40 days later. Jesus says, not one of you has asked, where are you going? Now, this is interesting because if you go to chapter 13, verse 36, Peter actually does ask this. Peter says, Lord, where are you going? So he's asked the question, but it appears that Peter was not really that interested in the answer or he was too distracted or too troubled to really press for more information to find out the destination that Jesus is going to. He doesn't persist with the question. And Jesus finds that surprising. He thought that his apostles would want to know where he's going. He's saying something like this, if you really are my followers, don't you want to know where I am going? Verse 6, yet you are sad at heart because I have told you this. Or more literally, it says the sorrow has filled your heart. When the apostles hear the news that Jesus is going away, rather than being interested in his destination, their initial reaction is sadness and Jesus perceives that and he cares about them. So he gives them these encouraging words. Verse 7, still, I must tell you the truth. And basically that means that even though he knows the apostles are sad, Jesus must ensure that they understand what is going on and why it needs to happen. So he's going to persist with his teaching and his explanation, even though he knows that they are quite sad. It is for your own good that I am going. Now, this is surprising for them because they see it as quite a sad thing that he's going away. So here Jesus is actually giving them words of comfort. He's going to explain to them that him leaving is actually a really good thing. Because unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. So that's his explanation of why it's a good thing that he leaves. Who's the advocate? Well, if you've been following in the last few days, you'll know that the advocate is a title of the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of like a a legal term. We looked at that in the last few podcasts. Now, some have interpreted this verse. Notice what Jesus says here. Because unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. So something about Jesus has to leave before the Holy Spirit comes. Some theologians have interpreted this to mean that there's some sort of mutual exclusiveness between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and Jesus' presence on earth, as in it's logically impossible for both of them to be on the earth at the same time. That's what some have suggested, and that could be right. There's another explanation which says that at the time Jesus is speaking, the apostles and humanity in general cannot receive the Holy Spirit in that special way. So Jesus must first be resurrected and glorified so that fallen humanity is now raised up and that they can receive the Holy Spirit after his resurrection and glorification. So in that sense, Jesus must return to the Father before the human race is elevated to the extent that they can receive the Holy Spirit. Either of those explanations might be possible. But I think Jesus actually gives us the main reason 
for this, the main reason why he has to go away before the Holy Spirit can come. He actually tells us that in the next verse. Here's what he says, but if I do go, I will send him to you. So the idea seems to be that Jesus needs to be the one who sends the Holy Spirit. So he needs to go back to heaven first. So when the son returns to the father, which happens at the ascension, 40 days after his resurrection, the son asks the father for the Holy Spirit to be sent. So both the father and the son are involved in sending the Holy Spirit. The father grants permission and the son sends the Holy Spirit to earth. Notice the Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus. So it's a direct continuation of Jesus' own work. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit so that his own work, Jesus' own work, can continue through the apostles. That's Jesus' intention. He wants there to be a continuation between his own ministry and the apostles' ministry. And also, after Jesus is gone physically and he's glorified in heaven, by sending the Holy Spirit, it means he's able to be with his apostles in a much deeper way spiritually than he would be able to physically, perhaps. So all of that is perhaps built into that verse. Now, the last part of our reading today, Jesus shifts gears a bit. He's going to describe some things the Holy Spirit will do to the world through the apostles. So to the world through the apostles. Some commentators suggest that what we're about to hear is it's something like the Holy Spirit is going to give the apostles ideas about the world. He's going to give them some inspirations or some teachings about the world. But I think the language is pretty clear that what's going on here, Jesus says the Holy Spirit himself is going to do things to the world. So the focus in the next part here is things the Holy Spirit is going to do to the world, not to the apostles. Verse 8, when he comes, he will show the world how wrong it was about sin and about who was in the right and about judgment. Now, there's some translational issues here. It turns out to be very awkward phrasing in the next little bit, so we want to pull it apart. The word here for show, when Jesus says the Holy Spirit will show the world, it's sometimes translated convict or convince. So this is referring to the conviction aspect of the Holy Spirit. And it's the fourth promise Jesus makes about the Holy Spirit in this farewell discourse. So Jesus says the world is going to be convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit. This is the fourth promise. Jesus is now going to explain himself what he means by each of these things, which is good because if Jesus had just left it at, if Jesus just said, the Holy Spirit will show the world how wrong it was about sin and about who is in the right and about judgment, we might be left scratching our heads a bit wondering what Jesus means by those three things. Luckily, he explains each of them. And each of these things are key themes in the Gospel of John. So Jesus is bringing these themes to a close, in a sense. Verse 9, so he deals with sin first. About sin, proved by the refusal to believe in me. A better translation of this is, about sin because they do not believe in me. So Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world about sin because the world does not believe in Jesus. The world did not believe Jesus' message about the seriousness of sin and the need for repentance because they didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. So Jesus teaches that in the coming years, through the works of the apostles, which are empowered by the Holy Spirit, the world would realize that Jesus is Lord and that he was right about sin all along. Interesting teaching, isn't it? Verse 10, 
about who was in the right, and this I think is not a good translation that our lectionary has, it actually says there about righteousness. The world, uh, the Holy Spirit will convict the world about righteousness. Another identical translation of the word righteousness is justice. So Jesus here has in view righteousness or justice. The world is going to be convicted about those things. What does it mean? Well, it probably means the Holy Spirit will show the world that Jesus was indeed showing the path of righteousness and holiness and that his death on the cross was itself an act of justice. And he goes on, he says, it will be proved by my going to the Father and your seeing me no more. So Jesus teaches that when he goes to the Father at the ascension, it's going to demonstrate to the world that Jesus was correct about the path of righteousness. So the idea is that when the Father raises Jesus from the dead and that he goes to the Father at the ascension, the world is going to realize that he had the approval of the Father and was indeed the Son of God. And also through the apostles' miracles, which are only possible because Jesus has gone to the Father, the world will realize that Jesus is who he says he was. The Holy Spirit's goal in all of these three things is to bring people to repentance, to bring people to realize that Jesus is Lord and so that they will become Christians too. Verse 11, about judgment proved by the prince of this world already being condemned. Or more literally, because the ruler of this world is judged. We've talked about that title, the the ruler of this world. It's a reference to Satan. We've looked at that in the last few episodes. When is Satan judged? When is Satan condemned, depending on how you translate it? It's probably a reference to the cross. When Jesus dies on the cross, the world at large will see that Satan, who is the present ruler of the world, is defeated through Jesus' act of sacrificial love on the cross. That is certainly the teaching of the New Testament. Revelation 12, verse 11 says, They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, and that means they conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb. And so the teaching here appears to be that when the world looks at the cross, many people in the world will realize that Satan has been judged. So those three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment of the prince of this world, those are functions of the Holy Spirit. And if you think about it, they're continuations of the Holy Spirit's role as paraclete. When we talked about paraclete, we talked about how that's a legal term. And certainly that involves defending the apostles, pleading their case before God. But if you know a courtroom, you know that one thing that your legal counsel does for you is it prosecutes the world or the enemy. In this case, it's the world. So it's a continuation of the Holy Spirit's role as paraclete. The mission of the Spirit, which is described here in judicial language, shows that while he does act as kind of a defense lawyer for the disciples, he is also a prosecutor who indicts the unbelieving world. And that's something interesting we often forget about the role of the Holy Spirit. So that is the end of our text, and that farewell discourse will continue in the coming weekdays. Let's now turn our attention to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is a summary of church teachings. We want to read out a few passages where our passage today is referenced. Paragraph 729, which is about Jesus, says, Only when the hour has arrived for his glorification does Jesus promise the coming of the Holy Spirit, since his death and resurrection will fulfill the promise he made to the fathers. The Spirit of Truth, the other paraclete, 
will be given by the Father in answer to Jesus' prayer. He will be sent by the Father in Jesus' name, and Jesus will send him from the Father's side, since he comes from the Father. The Holy Spirit will come, and we shall know him. He will be with us forever. He will remain with us. The Spirit will teach us everything, remind us of all that Christ said to us, and bear witness to him. The Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth and will glorify Christ. He will prove the world wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Particularly that last phrase there in paragraph 729 is a direct reference to John chapter 16. Paragraph 692 is a discussion about the title Paraclete, and we've looked at this paragraph in previous days. I'll include that full paragraph for you in the show notes if you want an explanation about that Greek word Paraclete. Paragraph 1433 is about interior penance. It's a really interesting one. It says, Since Easter, the Holy Spirit has proved the world wrong about sin, i.e. proved that the world has not believed in him whom the Father has sent. But this same Spirit who brings sin to light is also the consoler who gives the human race, human heart grace for repentance and conversion. So that is a commentary on that phrase, the Holy Spirit proves the world wrong about sin. The last two paragraphs we'll look at, 388 and 385, are both about the Catholic teaching on original sin, which both make reference, interestingly here, to what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit's role in convicting the world of sin. With the progress of revelation, the reality of sin is also eliminated. Although, to some extent, the people of God in the Old Testament had tried to understand the pathos of the human condition in the light of the history of the fall narrated in Genesis, they could not grasp this story's ultimate meaning, which is revealed only in the light of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We must know Christ as the source of grace in order to know Adam as the source of sin. The spirit paraclete sent by the risen Christ came to convict the world concerning sin by revealing him who is its redeemer. The revelation of divine love in Christ manifested at the same time the extent of evil and the superabundance of grace. We must therefore approach the question of the origin of evil by fixing the eyes of our faith on him who alone is its conqueror. So we'll leave it there for today. Hopefully you learned something new about these quite direct words that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. Please continue to keep this ministry in your prayers Help it to grow by sharing this podcast around and we'll see you again tomorrow.